Welcome to Westside Unscripted, the podcast where the pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and answer questions about all things theology and culture. I'm Josh Bartels, a deacon here at Westside, and I am joined by Pastor Peter Montoro, our preaching pastor. And uh, so we're here today to discuss a very practical question. But before we do, we're going to get to a book that Pastor Peter has brought to uh, recommend today. So I'm going to... I'm, I am not necessarily recommending this as a book that everyone should go pick up and read unless you are very, very keen on the topic because it's not the easiest book to read, but there's an insight from the book that I wanted to pick up. Uh, so last week I talked about a children's book that I was reading with our kids, which we've now finished about uh, the Bible smuggler. Uh, this book is called The Logic of the Body, Retrieving Theological Psychology. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna be, Lord willing, teaching a series, or preaching a series rather, on uh, what it means to be in a body and how we should not be trying to get away from our bodies, but you know what it you know how what the Bible has to say about being embodied, non-virtual creatures. I'm probably going to call it unvirtual reality. Why we should not you know why we can't get away from our bodies and, and why we shouldn't try. But I'm reading this book for that, and I uh, he talks a lot about. Um, sort of the setup for the book, and there's lots of technical things, we won't get into all of that, uh, but the setup for the book is how do you deal with someone who's struggling with anxiety? Uh, and he sort of presents like the two extremes that a secular uh, psychologist, secular psychology often uh, does not assign any blame at all for say something like anxiety, and they're immediately going to go to what are the physical causes of this person's anxiety. Um, not necessarily, not all psychologists are going to medicate right away, but basically they're going to absolve, you know, absolve the person from responsibility for the anxiety uh, unless proven guilty. You know, so basically a innocent, sometimes even after proven guilty kind of mindset. And um, oftentimes Christian counseling will take, you know, the opposite uh, opposite perspective that you know, while acknowledging there could be physical reasons for anxiety, so there could be something chemically wrong in the brain or whatever, um, it's almost, it's a spiritual problem for which one is culpable. You know, it's guilty until proven innocent. So we're going to assume, you know, you have something you need to repent of until it's clear that that's not what's causing it. Um, and of course, there's, you know, that could, there could be, you know, not everyone's going to take that extreme approach, but that is a very, very common approach in a books you'll read on biblical counseling, specifically dealing with anxiety. Uh, and so what he really does is he actually goes back to the Middle Ages uh, and he's, uh, and, and the scriptures as well, and digging into how does, basically the question he's getting at in, in the book as a whole is how does being in a body qualify everything, qualify all of everything we do, we do as embodied creatures. Um, but everything that our body is doing, we're not necessarily, even everything our minds are doing, we're not necessarily conscious of all the time. Um, and so there's an analogy he uses. Lots of the book is, was even hard for me to read. Um, and I'm used to reading harder books. Uh, but there's an analogy he used that was so helpful that he, he talks about uh, the responsibility that we have for the state of our emotional life is analogous to the responsibility that a gardener has for over a garden. That, you know, there are lots of things about a garden that are outside of the gardener's immediate control, um, but it's all within his or her responsibility. You know, so you may, you don't know necessarily what sort of soil you're given. You know, there could be a flood. There could be any number of things that have happened to you that have caused it to be, you know, productive of something bad or less productive of that which is good. Uh, but it's still your responsibility to so nurture the garden that, given the hand you've been dealt with, you can improve that and bear fruit to the glory of God. Um, and so then that gives a role for dealing with someone with anxiety. You know, what are the things that have happened to them? Um, 
what is their, you know, all their neural pathways, all of those things that when we process events, it's not just, you know, just how we consciously think about things is a tiny fraction of, of how things actually affect us. Uh, and yet we can, you know, we're still, we still have that responsibility. Another yeah, analogy right. used is, you know, it's the, the rule of the mind or the spirit over the body is a political rule. Uh, and so if you think of police officers, right, they have a responsibility to keep the peace, but they don't have absolute control. <laughs> you right. know? So, yeah. so they're responsible to keep the peace in such a way that if, you know, there's criminals, they may not actually be able to control those criminals right away, but they can take steps that, you know, would reduce crime overall. Like, what can we do to, you know, keep the peace better? Right. They can't, yeah. you know, if a you know, raging, mob, you know, <laughs> something happens, lots of things happen inside their, their territory that's out of their control, but it's still under their responsibility. Hmm. Um, and so then thinking how to actually put that into place of, you know, then it's, it's not sort of a binary, you're either innocent and you need medication or you're culpable and you need repentance. Right. That yeah. gives a whole space for practically asking really careful practical questions like what's causing this? Uh, and then asking, um, you know, what steps could you actually take? You can't fix this overnight. Um, but what's what's triggering this and what could you do to help change this so that you're bearing the fruit of the spirit more effectively? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's a really interesting uh, analogy and probably helpful even for the discussion we're going to have today because we're going to be talking about productivity. So how does one go about getting things done and how do, what does the, what kind of Christian <clears throat> perspective do we have on our productivity in general. Uh, and, and so it's not necessarily a particular question as much as a topic. So if we are supposed to be as Christians producing something, so in one sense, the great, the, uh, great, the creation mandate is to multiply and take dominion. And so we're at least supposed to be, uh, creating new people, uh, like helping them <laughs> develop. So that's part of the productivity that uh, a human has a responsibility for. Uh, we have vocations in this world. We have uh, ways that our, our, Christi our Christian belief is supposed to practically actually get things done. And so how should we go about getting things done? And it seems like to me that the garden analogy is probably yeah, a wonderful I think it's place really to helpful. start. Yeah. Let's see. Cancel Netflix. Get off of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Set a timer on Instagram. No, yeah. I, I, you can do all of those things yeah. and still have struggle to get things done, as yeah. I can well attest. Mm -hmm. I think that actually, like you said, that garden analogy is really helpful because it, you know, on the one hand, you have things that you check things off, right? You have things you got done, but then you have things you can do that can make you better able to get more done in the future. So, I mean, Stephen Covey talks, I'm trying to think about how to, you know, mm -hmm. you know uh, but I think Stephen Covey talks about sort of those four quadrants. Let's see if we can remember right. between the two of so us. So quadrant one is the urgent and important. Quadrant two is the not, not urgent, urgent but, important. but important. Quadrant three is the urgent but not important. And quadrant four is not urgent, not important. <laughs> so I think, you know, that's, you know, I think there's, there's aspects of Covey's, of Covey's teaching that I don't think is compatible with scripture. But that basic idea of thinking about the things that have to be done is a really mm -hmm. helpful idea. I yeah, found it helpful right. personally. And so really trying to cut out things that are not urgent and not important yeah right just get you don't need those things 
you know, but there could be something like, you know, so say watching an Netflix show or watching a TV show, mm -hmm. whatever your format of choice could be. If you're just sitting watching a show, it's not urgent, not important. But if that is quality time with your wife or your children or your family or a friend, then, you know, depending on how you do it, if you do that in a way that is productive, you know, what could have been not urgent, not important, a total waste of time could instead become something that's not urgent, but important, which becomes quadrant two. Mm -hmm. So any activity, um, you know, finds its value, not just in the particular activity, yeah. um, but in how it contributes to the garden of your life as a whole. You know, so for me, like watching a TV show, you know, say watching Blue Bloods or whatever, that's a show mm -hmm. my wife and I like to watch. You know, if I was just sitting down and watching that show, which I would, I can't imagine ever doing. But if I were to do that, that would be a quadrant, you know, quadrant four activity. But if it's an investment in my relationship with my wife, because that's something that she finds um, relaxing and she enjoys doing with me. And so it's a quality, you know, for her, that's, you know, time between the two of us, then, then that you know, moves from quadrant four to quadrant two yeah. of something that needs to be done. Um, and so really thinking about a lot of, a lot of things like that kind of perspective has been helpful to me of like, what am I not just checking things off the list, but how can I do something um, that accomplishes, you know, two things at once, Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where I'm getting more value out of what I'm doing, you know? So, mm -hmm. so an example of that, I'm working on, you know, in a totally different sphere, I'm working on, reading i'm learning to read french um and german and so it's pretty poor it's not like i <laughs> would say that i know it but i'm working on things and so picking a a book that i need for you know so i need the language for my school but i'm learning the language using books that i also benefit for and i'm learning something you know so that time that i'm spending reading rather than you know reading a novel or whatever i'm reading you know that could be beneficial too but i'm i'm reading something that i also need for something else yeah so you can sort of get that synergy and then when you when you've got that you're getting a lot more done without the you know start cutting back on sleep you're not actually getting more done if you live a life with no rest you're wearing your you're not taking care of the garden right right yeah you're, you're burning the soil out mm -hmm. and i think that's a lot of what our lives are not lived on you know a lot of what's going place in our world it's the idea i've been thinking about a lot recently is living at a human scale um, and so much of our world is lived at this inhuman hurry where basically the pace is set by the machine or the online discourse or whatever in a way that just is dehumanizing and so you know people are burning their lives out and just becoming shells of themselves even as they're racking up these impressive accomplishments yeah do you so then how does one know how much they need to get done to be uh faithfully productive because there's always more that we can do in, in one sense there's that sense that i am always not being as efficient or as effective with my time as i could be that there's things that i can change things that i can maximize but at some point there are those moments where the the drive for productivity becomes the uh the val the, the the standard of value to my life that like my life is valuable in as much as it produces something as opposed to like just faithful tending to a garden you, you know it begins it begins to take more responsibility for the amount of fruit that comes out than is actually a, that than we're actually able to take so how how would how would you 
begin to balance and say, okay, this is something like when you reach the end of yourself, right? In, in tasks and responsibilities that you have, you've got more that you want to do with the church than you have time to do. And so how, where are those places where you, how do you know where to draw the line and say, I just can't get that done. That's something that would be great to do that I could do that. I just have to say, that's not going to happen. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, these, these that, are things I think about quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I find myself, I would just say like, I just can't, you know, yeah. you can't, I, I think, you know, to generalize it first, you know, Jesus parable of the talents that, you know, if you're given, you know, two talents, you're not expected to produce, you know, 10 more talents. And so I think even, you know, that analogy going back to the garden, that like not every garden is equally productive. And, you know, there comes a point where the garden's about as productive as it's going to get. Um, and, you know, you could add a lot of artificial fertilizer and get more out of it, but you're damaging the soil long term. Yeah, right. You know, there, there comes a point where you're in burnout phase. Um, and that's not a healthy place to do because that's not trusting that the master has distributed enough talents between the servants to get the profit he wants to get. And so there comes a point where your talents have been adequately invested. You're not hiding them. You're not wasting them. You know, you're not taking the money and partying with it. You're, you're investing the talents you've been given and you're living a, a restful life in Christ and trusting that he's responsible for the big picture harvest. You've, you've tended what he's given you. Um, and I think that's something I go back to realizing there's always more. There's mm. always more that could be done. But what am I called to do? And, and one thing I found in my own life and seen in the lives of others is we can judge ourselves to have talents higher than we actually have so that we beat ourselves up or I can do this, you know, so that I can say, I, this is what I, this is what I should be able to do. This is, this, this is the capacity I see myself as having. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm at 20% of that, but that could just be pride <laughs> that yeah, you see right. yourself as like this superhuman person who this is the most productive, most talented person that ever was. And I'm not performing at that level. And I've seen this in right. conversations with others as well. And I'm not performing at that level. So I'm depressed that I'm not getting a lot done mm -hmm. when maybe the truth is, you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, you're a 30 and you're getting 20 done. Yeah, right. So rather than being overwhelmed, you know, if you get that extra five, 6%, then you're, you're operating in the safety zone for what God has actually enabled you to do. Right. Um, yeah, and good. you can slow down and be a human being with what you've been given yeah. rather than being distraught because you haven't reached these superhuman levels of productivity. Yeah. Now, because we are human and fallen, we can either fall into the ditch on the one side of being the workaholic or the, the constantly pursuing something greater than we've got and not judging our uh, talents rightly, not putting ourselves in that right category and, and flirting with the danger zone at the top end of the scale. Right. But, but it's the red zone, like on the RPM, yeah. the car can go up there, but it can't stay there. Right. <laughs> but I think many of us though, the problem is not that we're revving up too high. The problem is that <laughs> our car true. just isn't getting out of the driveway <laughs> yeah, that often true. and it needs, you know, it's got <laughs> some other gets out problems. Of first gear. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what are some of the like ways to f fight laziness and sloth in just our weekly routines, our approach to family, to all the responsibilities that we've been given? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, as a teenager, young teenager, I was fairly slothful and overweight and just 
never finish what I started, never, you know, I just had to be told to do stuff a bunch of times. Like that was kind of my personality. And, you know, I realized that it was about probably 15, 16, you know, I just realized like this was not how I wanted to live my life. Like I got on people's nerves enough that if I didn't have something to, you know, basically, I, you know, I've, it was like, I'm either going to have to shut up or put up <laughs> like either I have to just like stop talking or actually start getting something done with my life because, yeah. you know, <laughs> and I realized I'd rather get something done than shut up. So <laughs> I started working out and that really changed, changed my life that I had something that I was committed to that I was doing. It was building discipline. And that's sort of the idea of a keystone habit that I did what, I, you know, I did what I set out to do. And that then became like just disciplining myself. I'm only to commit to what I can actually do, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do more than I committed to do. And some of those just sort of keystone habits of building discipline into your life, um, where you do what you're supposed to do, whether you feel like doing it or not. Um, and then not overcommitting, but actually committing, right? Because you can say, I'm never going to overcommit. You just don't commit yeah, at all. Right. I just show yeah. up, whatever, whatever, <laughs> don't, don't count on me. Right. But actually yeah. being that sort of person that can be counted on, you know, then can build a culture for yourself that you can count <laughs> Not that you depend on yourself, but you you become yeah. the sort of person where you can make plans, you know, yep. for the future under the providence of God, you know, knowing a storm could come, something could change and you you adapt to that. But actually having plans, having things you're trying to get accomplished for God's glory and just really driving everything to that. Like, what am I, what harvest am I making? You know, so, you know, there's a need. Like, so thinking of, rather than thinking of entertainment or uh, leisure, thinking of recreation, like you need recreation in your life. Um, but there comes a point where you've, you've gotten the maximum benefit out of recreation and you're just wasting time. Yeah, right. Um, and then you should just stop, mm -hmm. you know, doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever different reasons people have, I, you know, I especially encourage you with social media, there's different reasons to be on it. But think of what am I actually trying to accomplish by this? Mm -hmm. And you decide that. I can't decide that for you. But then actually spend the amount of time, you'll set a time, because you always, these things are designed by master manipulative psychologists to suck you into spending more time than you planned on spending. Uh, so, you know, before you go on YouTube, yeah. <laughs> decide how much time do I have? <laughs> Is it profitable to give to YouTube today? Uh, and then stop when you reach that time, um, rather than allowing YouTube to determine how much of your day it should take. Yeah. Um, and, and whatever it could be, it could be, you know, it doesn't have to be social right. media. It could be lots yeah. of things are like that, you know. Um, that you determine in advance how much time you're going to spend on something based on its value to your life as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Uh, there are a lot of distractions with tech technology that can suck you in and end up taking a lot more time than you intend. Uh, and, and that suck you into a, uh, it encourages you to strictly consume and not to engage, not to right. produce. And that, I think that kind of, uh, habit of escape, you know, uh, can be yeah. very deadly. Not, I mean, it can be deadly. Yes. But more, maybe more prevalently, it can just wither away hours of your life that could be used in other ways to expand the capacity, like you're saying, yeah. uh, or to actually be producing something. So, and really, you know, like there's divine interruptions, but divine interruptions look like real people who need something real. And so being willing to see our schedules change, you know, not being like so obsessed that nothing can ever change it, but, you know, being willing to, 
you know, see that happen when it's a real person with a real need, but maybe not needs you're not responsible for, you know, you're not responsible to, you know, answer that Twitter war or whatever. Like those are not things that God has given you. Those are just things that sort of float by. Um, and so basically being willing to have your schedule interrupted by, you know, what God is doing in the world and what people need in the world, but maybe not just changing your plans at the last minute because something, you know, uh, making a difference between the Samaritan, you know, the man on the side of the road and something shiny that floats by in the sky. You know, those are two different things. Um, and they're two different temptations that you could be tempted to be like the priest and the Levite. Who, nothing is going to distract you. Mm -hmm. Or you could say, hey, I'm going to be distractible. Uh, but then you're distracted by things that are not worthy of the... Yeah. And this is the kind of work, that kind of analysis of your life happens regularly. Yeah. Uh, you have to just keep giving attention to what am I, what am I giving my attention to? And uh, where is my time going? So. Yeah, just really keeping track of where your time mm -hmm. is, where your time is going, and and then regularly sitting down to assess like, yeah. am I giving my time the way it should be given? That's true. You know, it's like uh, often uh, budgeting or financing uh, discussions always start with, hey, you need to start tracking your money because you're not going to get control of your money until you know where you're actually spending it. And the same thing could be set of time that until you know what where your time is actually going, then knowing where you can change it, where you can move your schedule around and how you can get right. more and, done. And maybe yeah. that you have to say no. That's one of the things like I think about with the ministries of the church all the time is how much is this going to take and is it worth that? Because there's an unlimited number of worthy things we could do. Mm -hmm. But how much of people's, you know, this is one of the questions as we're wrestling with, you know, something like family camp. Like the way we were doing it was asking people to take a whole week of vacation <laughs> and many people have one week or two weeks of vacation. So we're making an enormous, you know, in addition to the cost, which, you know, there's that we're also making an enormous ask in terms of very limited amount of vacation. Most people would have, um, and a large financial cost. And what are we doing? You know, it's not no question. It would be a great thing to do, <laughs> but when you look at the cost, like how many things could we do? It's the same thing with money. Like, you know, there's lots of good things you could spend your money on, but since your resources are limited, what's the best things you can, you know, what's the rate on return of that, that level of investment? And so just looking at, you know, every, you know, every little thing, what are we asking of people um, who have limited amounts of time, uh, attention, money, <laughs> um, and what's going to be the most beneficial for the flourishing of, of the church with that, you know? So. Yep, definitely. Well, I believe that God has given all of us gifts and abilities and talents that need to be used for his glory and that Absolutely. serve and benefit one another. And so working together to try to make the most of those things is part of what it means to live together as a church. So Absolutely. have carry on this conversation with uh, the people in your neighborhood fellowship and your family. Uh, try to figure out how can you be better using your time to uh, for the work of the kingdom in your home, in your church, and in your community. And uh, until next time, this is Westside Unscripted. And if you have questions that you want to see answered on the podcast, you can send those to me, Josh, at BibleDirectionForLife.com, or you can uh, just pass those on to me at church. Uh, so we hope you join us again next week for more talk about theology and culture here on Westside Unscripted. Unscripted.